Uh, once again, I, I want to say thank you to the Norman Family Social Committee, everyone who worked very hard in making last night a great success. Uh, it was excellent. It was a lot of fun, and uh, Lord willing, I, I look forward to the ones in the future. So uh, if you miss this year, please go ahead and think about, uh, it, again, being at these events when we do these. Uh, hats off, because I mean, that's two social events back to back. And that's a lot of effort, a lot of work, but it has been just really encouraging. And the support, too, from our church family. It's been really great to see. And uh, yes, I did embarrass my children last night and my church family. But that's what I do best, folks. I mean, you know, you, you, you get what you get. And, uh, but, uh, you know, Papa's got a brand new bag, so what can I say? I feel good. You know... Get up off of this thing. Dance, you'll feel better. I'm just saying. It's a mess. Well, uh, I, I, speaking of entertainment, uh, I want to make this service announcement, public service announcement. Uh, you need to venture out this afternoon down to Mount Olive and see Dr. Carver, or as he's known in his performance, Dr. Einstein. And so, yeah, it's been great. We had a good time the other night, uh, took the family out. What time today, Carver Matinee? 3 p.m. is when the announcements start. So basically, I'll try to be there about probably about 2.30. Yes. Too, been yes, it has. It was packed out the other night. Excellent time. So if you want a good way to spend the afternoon, get a great laugh, uh, you need to see uh, Dr. Einstein. And uh, arsenic. Uh, the name of the title again is, yes, thank you, Arsenic and Old Lace. Some of you may be familiar with that one. Uh, very entertaining, so check that out if you would. Take your Bibles, let's go this morning to the book of Hebrews. We are back in Hebrews, only for a short stint. Uh, Lord willing, next week our missionary Paul Fry in Virginia will be with us, and Paul ha uh, will be bringing the message next week. Uh, so we're just in for this week, and then a couple of weeks down the line we'll try and jump back into the book of Hebrews. But if you have your Bibles, go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. If you need a Bible, Bible is in the pew in front of you. should be one of those red books. So if you need to grab one of those, please grab one of those. Uh, again, the book of Hebrews is one of these, gang, that you, you need to bring your Bible because you're going to get the most out of this if you are focused in the Word of God. As we're reading through the Word of God, you're going to see some things that are going to jump out and uh, just a great opportunity for you to underline, take some notes, and things like that. This is a rich and deep study. Uh, I was telling some of the men the other day uh, at a, a, our breakfast that uh, this is one of those that the pulpit ministry is not able to do the text justice. This is one of those you really need to just sit down and discuss and dig out. And I have thoroughly enjoyed it in my personal study time. And uh, going to try and help make sense of it to you guys uh, here this morning. But if you notice in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, and let's begin our reading today in chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. As Moses also was faithful in all his house, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses, indeed, was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. 
Father, I pray for clarity of thought. I pray that you will help to bring to remembrance the things that have been studied and internalized this week. Lord, I pray for recall. I pray that as your word is proclaimed, that it will go out unhindered. pray that you would remove any distractions from our hearts, our thoughts, our minds, and that we would focus on Christ, that you would draw us near, that we would look to you, and that you would be our teacher this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will illuminate your word, make it known to us, help us to receive it. And Lord, I pray that we all, by feeding on your word today, will grow. We'll go out of here different than how we came in. So Lord, we ask, have your will and have your way in this service. And may Christ be made much of. For we ask it in his name in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's message is entitled, Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. You know, we've been looking at chapters 1, chapter 2, and now as we transition into chapter 3, you recall the writer who we're not sure exactly who it is. We I personally, I, I lean towards Paul. Others have other uh, people they would credit for the holding of the pen. We know ultimately the author is the Holy Spirit. That's what's most important. But we've looked at in chapter 1, the argument has been made that Jesus is better than the prophets. God spoke to His people through the prophets in the Old Testament. But in these last days, He's spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is better than the prophets. We also transition through 1 into chapter 2 and the argument was made that Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the angels. Again, the people that is that the recipients of this letter, and this is important to know, the recipients of that letter were Jewish people. There was a culture of Jews, some of which, and this is also very key to interpretation of this letter, this book, is that some of them were Jewish believers. There were no doubt Jews in their midst who were not believers. And there were also some who were sort of at the threshold, at the door. And so you've got these people who are the recipients. And look, that's no different than our churches today. If Paul were alive today, writing to the church at Community Baptist. No doubt, in our midst today, we have represented God's people. We have those Gentiles, as we are referenced, who would be here. We're not Jews, but Gentiles in that sense. There may be some Jewish folk here. But in that sense, uh, and we have some that are here that are probably not believers. So we have a mix, believers, non-believers, and many who may be right there at the threshold. No doubt, in the last day, in the end, when those are standing before the throne, Scripture makes it clear, many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Yet they sat in a church pew every week. Oh, they heard. They heard the truth. They even maybe kind of tasted a little, but never committed. That's the kind of people that are being written to in the book of Hebrews. Some had sort of been in the midst, experienced the goodness that comes from being a part of a gathering like this, but never really committed, never really surrendered their heart, never truly put their faith and trust in Christ. So this is a great warning, and there are warning passages through the book of Hebrew. And so if you're here today, and you're that person, because look, in the Bible Belt, let's just admit it, there's a lot of that group in the Bible Belt. I know, you'll knock on the door, by the way, pray for this. Uh, uh, the Benin Courts are going to help lead out our new uh, uh, outreach. We're going to return to the, the wise outreach, winning individual souls every day. And so part of that, phase one, is going out and reaching our neighbors and canvassing and inviting folks and telling folks about Christ. 
But you knock on doors around here, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm going to heaven when I die. But there's oftentimes professing Christianity, but no possessing Christianity. And so the warning passages of Hebrews are ones that should not be glossed over lightly. So we see how the arguments being made to this group of Jewish people that Jesus is better than the prophets, Jesus is better than the angels, and now we come to chapter 3 and the argument's going to be made, Jesus is better than Moses. Now again, you have to understand the audience. They revered the prophets. The Jewish people revered the prophets of old. So the argument has to be made. Why Jesus is better. They revered the angels because they believed the angels helped deliver the law to Moses. There was mysticism that was being practiced amongst the Jews. And so there was a segment, no doubt, that was wrestling with this. Jesus is better than the angels. But when it came to Moses, there was no greater man that had ever lived in the eyes of the Jewish people. This is the man who led them out of Egypt. He is the most revered. And again, what is part of the problem in the book of Hebrews? There were those who were struggling with, do we need to return back into the sacrifices and the, going to the temple and, and some of the ritualistic worship and some of the ceremonial things that the Jews did? Do we need to do that? Because again, they have some of these Judaizers, same thing in the book of Galatians, that are arguing and saying, yeah, yeah, well, Jesus is good, that's a starting point, but you need to get back into this stuff, and you need to go into that direction. And, and so there's this pulling in their understanding. And this is why the letter's written, to clear it up. We've had a phrase that we've been using around here, and it's been encouraging to hear people repeating it and saying it to each other. Jesus is enough. And we're going to see again today in the text, Jesus is enough. So, let's, let's unpack this. Let's take a look. And again, keep your Bibles open. Let's see this here. So, verse 1. Therefore, okay, when we see therefore, we stop. And we say, why is therefore, therefore? Therefore, based upon everything we've just talked about, chapters 1, chapter 2, because of all of those things, all of those arguments about who Jesus is, why Jesus is better, arguing that Jesus is the captain of your salvation, He is the one who has blazed the trail, He's the pioneer who's gone before, made a way for us to be reconciled to God, all the arguments of why Jesus is better, why Jesus is God incarnate, why Jesus is God come in the flesh, all of these arguments have been made, chapter 1, chapter 2, Therefore, holy brethren. Holy brethren. Now, you may want to underline that. He has used the references brethren in the general sense. You know? Jews oftentimes would reference each other. They may not have been believers and just said, and referenced as, uh, as brethren. You'll see this used in the New Testament uh, and Acts in some cases where there's a reference and it's not in the sense of believers. We use this type of language today, don't you? I mean, you know, somebody at work or on the street, not necessarily a believer, but you might say, you know, my brother. Some of us say my brother from another mother, you know. But the language is such. And so here, though, there's a specific holy brethren. So the writer wants you to know, the reader wants you to know that he is specifically speaking of believers, not just Jews. So, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. He's making it clear. All right, for you there in the midst of those people who are believers. Don't forget you have a heavenly calling. Church, I can stop right here. We could, we could go off on a tangent and preach this right here. I mean, this is preaching material. Believers, we have a heavenly calling. Not like Moses in an earthly, in the sense of the laws and the mandates and the practices and the rituals and the things that 
that, that the Jews were wanting to hold to. He's saying, no, 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 no. Believers, we've got a heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, first point is consider Jesus. That's my title of the sermon, but our first point is the same. Consider Jesus. He says, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. This word consider. The word used there, the Greek word, is the, gives the idea of to focus intently, to carefully study. To, it's the same term that would have been used for a stargazer. Anybody ever looked through the telescope and, and checked out the stars? The other night there was a, what, a snow moon or something like that. I didn't see any snow, did y'all? I, I don't know, I was confused by that. But anyway, you know, some of you may have gone out and, and, and before and, and gazed at the stars. When I worked on the cruise ship, we used to do one of my favorite things that, that we used to do. We did these little venues called, we, they were edutainments, how we phrased it. Edutainment. You were getting education while being entertained. All right? And so one of the things that we did was stargazing. And we used to take people on the ship that wanted to go. They'd sign up, and we'd take them up to the top of the ship, the very top. We called it Metal Beach, the people that, that worked in the crew and the staff. That's where we had our R&R time when we weren't at work. And you could go up there and, and, and sunbathe or whatever, you know, just relax. But at night, they would cut the lights off at the very top for us to do stargazing with the, with the, cut, with the guests. And we'd give them these little charts and these little bitty flashlight and you would turn the little dial to whatever, if it was January or February or whatever time of year, and it would show you the star chart. And it was really cool because you would lay down on lounge chairs and you would stare up at the sky. And I don't know if any of you, have, if you, you have never seen the sky before like you see if you're out in the middle of the ocean where there's no land and no lights around you and then they kill the lights at the top of the ship. It is amazing. And we would sit there and just gaze at these stars. And, and I actually, at the time, knew a little something about them and would point out certain things to the people and all that's been whew, long forgotten. But you would gaze intently. You'd focus on it. You'd think about it. You'd look into it. And the writer is using that word here. And he's saying to these people, he says, look, therefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest. He's saying consider Jesus. Give serious attention. That's probably the best way to interpret that. Give serious attention. Careful study. How many of us believers, let's just be honest, this is, where we, this is where we miss. Oh yeah, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven when I die. But I don't consider Jesus. I mean, I don't really consider Jesus. I don't really carefully study. I don't take serious attention when it comes to knowing who He is. What He's done on our behalf. The joy that rests when we abide in Him and He abides in us. I mean, I don't know what you face in day-to-day -day life, but gang, let me tell you, consider Jesus. Everything you face, everything you battle, everything you struggle with, your answer is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And sometimes, holy brethren, we just need to consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. If you've confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, why are we looking at the earthly things to satisfy us? Why, why do we look for the earthly things to give us the joy and the peace and the happiness when none of those things were ever intended to give us joy, peace, and happiness? As we're going to see in this text, those are simply shadows of the substance. Christ is the substance. So why wouldn't we look to him? The other day we were taking the trash out and Luke got this new book for Christmas and it's, it's on making shadow puppets. And so I, I, I've gotten the, you know, the Happy Hands Club, uh, what's that, the eagle or whatever, the something or another flying through the sky. I got that one down pat on the shadows. 
I did the little swan the other day too. That was one of that's that's always a good one. Come up with a new one though, the gummy bear fight. But try those at home if you want to. But I I I asked Luke, I said, Luke, look at the shadow there on the ground. And so I'm making the shadow. I said, What's what's greater? The shadow or the one making the shadow? He got it, he said, the one making the shadow. I said, yeah, we're going to talk about this Sunday at church. Guys, what the writer is going to argue here in this section 1 through 6, Moses, the rituals, those things, that, that, look, those are types. Those are, those are the shadows that were pointing people to the substance. Christ is the substance. You're never going to be satisfied with the shadow. It wasn't intended for such. So, holy brethren... Our heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Now notice this word apostle. Now, loosely defined, apostle means sent one. A sent one. Jesus is the only begotten. He is unique. He is the sent one. He's the second of the, of the Godhead Trinity. He is God in the flesh. He was sent by the Father. This relationship within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. And so Christ is sent God taking on the form of man, enrobing himself in the flesh. He was, in that sense, a sent one, an apostle. Jesus also says, you may recall this from John when he prayed, Father, send them as you sent me. I send them as you sent me. And he's referencing his apostles. Again, unique office. There's not a bunch of Jesus running around there. I don't care what other people tell you. And there's not a, a lot of apostles running around today in that, in that definition. I don't care what Pastor so-and-so down the street's name tag says on the front of the church. Those apostles that were selected for that unique ministry in that phase of the church being established, there were certain things that those apostles were gifted with that were for that time. But if you want to use the definition in the general sense of sent one, we have missionaries who are out in the world today. And so if you're defining it properly and are in that, in that way, they're sent ones, that's fine. But we don't typically use that term because you want to be clear in the communication. But apostle in the general sense is sent one. And so... It's also important to recognize that here in this text, we see that he is the apostle. He represents God to man. That's what the apostle did. He represented God to man. But then he uses another term, doesn't he? He uses the term high priest. Now think about it. And we're not going to... The next couple of chapters, we're going to get into the high priest. All right, so I'm not going to delve in real deep right now. But at this point, I want you to simply understand that the high priest, because it was introduced back in 2.17, look back over in 2.17, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that's speaking of God coming in the flesh, had to be made like man, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And you remember we talked about this last time. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of high priest you want because the apostle represents God to man, but the high priest represents man to God. And both terms are used here about Christ. Isn't that awesome to think about that here is not only representation from God to man, we also have representation from man to God. And it's in the person of Christ. It's also said that uh, uh, I believe the, uh, the Latin term, is it uh, pont pontificus or something like that? Uh, I know I'm butchering that. Um, the high priest term uh, that's used... Um, is also translated from the Latin as bridge. The bridge. Not the, not the Goldsboro Church, by the way. Um, but it's, when you think about that, is that not who Christ is? Is He not the bridge? God reaching down to man? Man reaching up to God. 
Christ is the bridge to reconcile us. We have offended a holy God. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and I need help. Religion won't cut it. That's why, again, the shadow, the, the law of Moses, they had to atone every year, year after year after year after year, go in, the high priest, take the sacrifice, offer. But it was, it was, it was just a temporary thing. It wasn't a solution. The law is a tutor, gang. It teaches us. I look into the mirror. I see, oops, I got problems I need to fix. Problem is, I can't fix them. The law is a tutor to bring us to faith in Christ. Because I cannot reach up to God. That's religion. Man's attempt to reach God. We can't. I'm never going to get to heaven by pulling myself up by my bootstraps. You won't get to heaven by doing better. You're not going to get to heaven by going to church. That's not what's going to get you to heaven. Me and you have a problem. If God doesn't do something, we're in high water. But God did something. He reaches down into the... Into, he robes himself in, in, into the form of man. He comes into the world. Christ Jesus is God incarnate. God reaching down to mankind. Christ grabbing hold of mankind, offering mercy, grace, forgiveness. Whosoever will, let them come. And he pays for our sin on the cross at Calvary. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's our bridge. He's our apostle. He's our high priest. And so the writer here is writing to those believing Jews and he's saying, look, consider Jesus. Because many of them were thinking, well, should we go back doing those religious things? And some of you think, if I just do a little better, maybe I'll earn some favor with God. You know, if I just try a little harder, maybe God will... Give me some blessing. No, guys. That's worthless. You will never be any more accepted in the eyes of God than you are now in Christ Jesus. Because when God looks at you, He does not look at you in your sin. He looks at you and sees His Son. If you've come to believing faith in Jesus Christ as your only means of salvation, so why would you go back to self-effort, self-help, and those things? So, we see here, consider Jesus. We also notice here the comparison. He begins a comparison. So we got the consider. Now, now we're going to look at the comparison. And he's going to compare Moses and Jesus. Look in verses 2 and 3. He says, uh, the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, by the way, most manuscripts uh, don't have the word Christ there for, for those Bible nerds like myself. Uh, it's just Jesus. But anyway, the, the writer probably... Uh, anyway, uh, moving on. Who was faithful to him who appointed him? Notice. Um, who was faithful to him who appointed him? Jesus was faithful to the Father. But notice what he does here. He does a comparison at first. Because of his audience. The Holy Spirit and wisdom, obviously, uh, wanting to soften this because these Jewish folks revered Moses. What you will not see in this letter is Moses' failures. Probably not the best way for us to witness to the Muslims. Do you know your prophet used to get most of their visions when he was married to his nine-year-old wife and they were in the bedroom Probably not the best way to influence and win the Muslim off the bat. That's a true thing. The prophet Muhammad claimed in his own writings that that's when he got his special visions from God. Probably don't want to right out of the gate talk to them about how he um, also um, initially thought when he went in the cave and, and, and started hearing things that he thought it was the devil and fled home, scared to death, and his wife said, you need to go back. That's God, probably. So, if you're witnessing to a Muslim, you might want to start with maybe some areas that are acceptable in the sense of they do believe Jesus was 
a good man and they believe he was a prophet. Maybe there's a place you could start in the conversation, just saying. But in this case, they start in the letter with a common theme between both Christ and Moses. Faithfulness. This is a place we can start. This is a place we can reason. This is a place we can build. The faithfulness. And so, Jesus was faithful to the Father, the one who sent Him, just as Moses was faithful in all His house. Now, some of your translations may muddy the water a little bit here. What the writer is saying is when he says faithful in all His house, capital. Moses was faithful in the Father's house. In other words, he was a servant in the house. We're going to look at that here in just a little bit. Uh, Go over real quick. Numbers. Hold your spot and go to Numbers. Hey, Lucas, you do Daddy a favor. Can you run to my office and grab a little bottle of water out of my uh, refrigerator, please? Thank you, son. Numbers. And if you look in Numbers 12, and notice in Numbers 12, verse 7. Actually, let's, let's, yeah, let me back it up to 6. Then he said, Hear now my words. Is If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Verse 7. Not so with my servant Moses... He is faithful in all my house. God speaking here about Moses' faithfulness. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And we're going to get into that a little bit further as we go through the book of Hebrews because you know this led to a little bit of rebellion. Miriam and Aaron and them were kind of saying, you know, they're bringing uh, kind of some arguments against Moses and saying, Moses, you're not the only one that God speaks to and sort of undermining the leadership and authority that was there. And um, God says, look, I, I speak to Moses mouth to mouth. No, I put into his mouth my words I want to say. Thank you, son. I know, sermon was getting a little dry. So, Thank you, Seth, for smiling. I appreciate that. So, let's continue on. So here's a comparison. Moses and Jesus, they were faithful. Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him. Moses is faithful in all his house. Not in his own house, if your translation says that, in his own house. That kind of gives the impression that's referencing Moses' house. No, no, no. This is God's house he's talking about. The Old Testament saints. Moses was faithful to them. He was faithful with them. But he was alongside them in the sense that he too was a servant of God. That's important to the argument that's going to be laid out here. Because he goes on and he says, For Moses was also faithful in all his house. Verse 3, For this one, speaking of Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. What's he saying there? Well, let me give you an illustration. MB Gentry helps build something, right? Something MB Gentry built, is that better than MB Gentry? No. MB Gentry is better than that which he built, right? When you look at something that's been developed, uh, uh, an architect, a building, that's the work of the architect's hands. The architect is greater. And so here's the argument here. Moses was in the house. Jesus is the builder of the house. He's greater than Moses. Jewish brethren, you need to know this. Because again, keep the context of the culture. Who's he writing to? Why is he writing to them? What are they struggling with? And then we can make a bridge over to where we are. What are you struggling with? Are you struggling with the shadow? 
Because the substance is your answer. Jesus is enough. And he's counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Verse 4, for every house is built by someone. But he who built all things is God. This is a syllogism. Some of y'all know that's that's not... (laughs) That's silly. No, no, it's not. Syllogism. It's it's a a philosophical approach. It's an argument. We went through this in the book of Luke, you recall. All right? And uh, so some of you should understand this. But basically, here's what he's saying. Translation. Syllogism. Jesus is the builder of the house. God is the builder of all things. Therefore, what? Interactive part. Let me go through it again. Three parts to this equation. If Jesus is the builder of the house, God is the builder of all things. Therefore, what? Jesus is God. Let me go through it one more time for those of you who are still trying to catch on. Jesus is the builder of the house. God is the builder of all things. Therefore, Jesus is God. That's what he's arguing here in this section of Scripture that, again, should be causing these Jewish people to have more confidence and faith in the finished work of Christ. while paying great respect to Moses, because he didn't point out Moses' failings, did he? He didn't point out the fact that Moses had killed somebody uh, back before his calling. He didn't point out the fact that he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. No, no, no. Much reverence here. So, continuing on. Moses, notice what it says here, verses 4 and 5. By the way, we are in the contrast now. So, we've looked at the comparison, or we looked at the consider in uh, verses 1, and then we looked at the comparison in verses 2 and 3, and now we're looking at the contrast in verses 4 and 5. And so we find Moses and Jesus, and notice the reference here. For every house is built by someone, but he who, who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing and the hope firm to the end. So what is he saying? He says Moses is a servant. This is the Greek word therapon. This is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. Right here. It's not your normal word for servant. This is kind of cool because what's he saying? He's basically, by using this word, the writer is making clear to the Jewish listener, the one who's reading, that they would clearly understand that Moses is a servant just like you. Now he was faithful. He was faithful in his service in the house of God. Okay? That's the point he's making. It's the word, uh, thereupon means uh, the willingness to serve. The willingness. Not like doulos, a slave, slave to righteousness. That's a good thing, though. You're slave to something, by the way. Did you know you're all slaves? Everybody is a slave. You're either slave to your sin or you're slave to his righteousness. You say, ah, whatever. Okay, if, you don't, if, you, if you're here and you're not a believer in Christ, try not to sin. Just see how that works out for you. Now, even us as believers struggle in the flesh, right? We ain't arrived yet. We're not holier than you. Praise God for His grace and forgiveness. But I am bound to Christ. And so, when God looks, it's not my sin He sees. I'm no longer slave to that. I've been set free. I'm slave to Christ, His righteousness. So that's what God sees when I stand before Him. He's not going to bring up my moments of of striking the rock instead of speaking to it or the murders that I've committed in my heart. Some of y'all got scared all of a sudden. 
Jesus said to murder someone, to hate someone, hate somebody in your hearts, the same as murder. I'm sure you've all had a little struggle with that at some given point. Anyways, contrast. Moses is a servant. Jesus is a son. We see the deity of Christ in verses 3 and 4. And, and, and so when you think about the son and you think about the servant and you think about in the household, who's greater? The servant or the son? The son. The son is a recipient of the inheritance. Not the servant, right? We can go back into our Galatians study on Wednesday night. Remember, we got into a good section on, on the difference between uh, the son and the servant. Talking all the way back to Abraham. Remember when Sarah said, have you considered my maiden? Well, honey, if you insist, you know. And you look there and there was a contrast laid out in Galatians. Guys, the son is greater than the servant. Verse 6, our last point of... Uh, is confidence. So we see the consider, we see the comparison, we see the contrast, now we see the confidence in verse 6. But Christ, as a son, over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now, what's he saying here? Go quickly over to Ephesians. What time we got? All right, we, we're rolling now. We're about there. Ephesians, go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 2. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. Verse 19. Listen to this text. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Another term for holy brethren, by the way. Believers. And members of what? You are members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God, in the spirit. The Hebrew writer is telling these Jewish believers, guys, you don't need to go back into those ritualistic practices. You don't need to drift back. You don't need to neglect so great a salvation in Christ Jesus because he's better than the prophets, he's better than the angels, and he's better than Moses. Moses was a servant. Jesus is Lord of the house. And you're his house. Is he Lord of your life? Maybe you need to consider Jesus. Maybe we need to give serious attention to who Jesus is. Because He's Lord of the house. He's a son. We, His servants. We, His brethren, in the positional sense. When the Father looks at us. And so, hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now, what does this mean? A lot of people have misinterpreted this scripture. My free willers in town will misinterpret this scripture. They say, ah, see, look, look, looks like you could, you could lose your salvation unless you just keep doing. You've got to hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing and the hope firm to the end. Don't let go of Jesus because if you let go and fall away, then you'll lose your salvation. No, 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 no. It's not what this text is teaching. No doubt there were some who would drift away after hearing the truth and go away, sat in church all their life, never committed, never made a commitment, never had a surrender, never had a born-again experience. But for those holy brethren, those believers, those of us who have been saved, are being saved, will be saved, the perseverance of the saints the reality of the evidence. The reality of the evidence. The confidence in Christ. Guys, you want to know who the saved are? The saved are the ones that will 
be there in the end. You say, well, what happened to Johnny? Johnny was such a good guy. You know, he used to come to church all the time. He was on fire for Jesus. And now he's off in the world and doing this and that and the other. And See, Hebrews will talk about this a lot. There will be many who came in the midst. Maybe they had a head knowledge. They had an emotional moment. Maybe they walked an aisle and said a prayer. But they were professors, not possessors. Because possessors will persevere. Because they have the confidence of Christ that dwells within their heart. And it's the hope of glory. And it continues one foot in front of the other. Doesn't mean they don't fall. Doesn't mean they don't stumble. But they don't depart. First John talks about this. Remember when he writes and he says, There were those among us, but they've gone out from us because they never were of us. And they began this Gnostic, mystical. It's no different in our day, guys. We got people who, who want to emphasize those things as if it's Jesus plus. The legalist who says laws plus. It's neither of those. Christ, our confidence. Let me read this, and we're just about done. I appreciate your patience. This is good stuff, though. This don't bless your soul, bless God. You, what's the old saying? Your wood's wet. Yeah, anyway. Something like that. Listen to what MacArthur says in regards to this section. He says, How can we know that we are really God's house? Because, by the way, you know... You know this building is not the house of God, right? Y'all know that, right? You're the house of God. That's what the New Testament teaches. In the Old Testament, it was, it was about the, the land. Oh, sorry. Y'all in trouble now. I've got to read this one. I'm going to go point one, and then we're going to come back to this one. The believer in Christ is also given a heavenly calling. In contrast to the calling of the Hebrew people, which was essentially earthly. In the Old Testament, everything had to do with a place. In the New Testament, everything has to do with a person. In the Old Testament, to be in the sphere of blessing, the Jew had to be in the land. So much so that any time we see the Jew outside the land, he's in the place of punishment and correction and cut off from the blessing associated with the land. In the New Testament, to be in the sphere of blessing, we must be in the Lord. For the Hebrew of old, it was a matter of being in Canaan. For us today, it's a matter of being in Christ. Thus, Paul reminds us repeatedly that our sphere is in the heavenlies in Christ. Ephesians. John Phillips. MacArthur goes on and he says this. He says, how can we know that we're really God's house? By holding fast our confidence in the boast of our hope firm until the end. This does not mean, as many have misinterpreted, that we are saved if we hang on until the end. We can neither save ourselves nor keep ourselves saved. Guys, you didn't do anything to save yourself. And you won't do anything to keep your salvation. If salvation was up to you and me, we'd done lost it yesterday. Right? Thank the good Lord salvation is not dependent on Jeremy Varner. Because man, I'd blow it about the second I got it. We can neither save ourselves nor keep ourselves saved if we are really the house of God because we stay there. We can tell if we're really the house of God because we stay there. The one who falls away never belonged in the first place. 1 John 2.19 Apparently, there were many Jews who had fallen away. And it's because of them that the writer of Hebrews gives these words, which both warn and encourage. Some were convinced of the gospel and were on the edge of commitment, but kept falling away. Some, no doubt, had even made an outward profession of faith, but in both cases, they fell away from the church, proving they were never a part of it. The true saints persevered, and their perseverance was evidence of their salvation. If you abide in my word, Jesus said, then you are truly disciples of mine. John 8, 31. One of the clearest truths of the New Testament is that the Lord keeps those who belong to Him. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. John 6, 39. Jesus has never lost anyone and will never lose anyone from his household. Did you hear that, church? He has never lost anyone and he will never lose anyone. Therefore, if you are in Christ Jesus, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Death cannot separate you. Nakedness, peril, sword, famine. There's a list. Check out Romans 8. You'll see. Nothing. Jesus has never lost anyone. This passage says two important things to us. First, we should be sure we are real Christians. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourself. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Church, I can't tell you, member, person, visitor, whoever you are, if you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen, you need to examine yourself. You may be a professing believer. I don't know if you're a believer or not. Only God does. You know. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Second, when we know we are in Christ, we should keep our eyes on Him. He is all we need. We are complete in Him. We are complete in Him. Said another way, Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Father, I pray we consider Jesus that we give serious attention to where we are in our walk. Just like the Hebrew people, there were many who were there, no doubt, in the gathering Sunday after Sunday, hearing the truth and maybe even having a form of godliness.